Take your Bibles, turn to James chapter 1. The last couple weeks we've been in Colossians 2 and 3. And uh, now we're going to move into James chapter 1 um, for the next couple weeks and look at some particulars here. Of course, uh, if you're familiar with our church, our practice is to uh, take a passage of scripture and kind of walk through that passage. But what we're doing in a study like this is kind of taking the the, uh, sum of multiple passages and uh, doing a thematic study, kind of a theology of biblical change and what does the whole Bible have to say about this. So that's why you notice that we're not in just one passage in particular, but moving to different passages and Uh, unifying those together, synthesizing them to help us understand uh, how the Bible describes this process of what many call sanctification. Uh, I like to call it transformation. It's it's what God is doing in us uh, to make us more like Christ. Um, As we begin this morning, I just want to highlight a couple of resources that may be of interest to some of you. Uh, If you're you're interested in reading uh, some more about this topic, my uh, remote's not working up here. It is on. <laughs> yeah, it's not happening. Try it now. There. Did I do that or did you do that? Oh, okay. <laughs> All right. <laughs> Good. All right, here's a few resources that I'm going to recommend to you. Um, if you're interested in doing some further reading on some of the things that we're talking about. Uh, One book is called Changed Into His Image. Uh, This is a very thorough look at uh, the the human condition and how the the Bible describes this process of growth as a Christian, how you grow and change, and it even gets into uh, some details of how do you help other Christians grow and change. It's a very, very thorough uh, but one of the most, for me, one of the most complete and helpful looks at the biblical process of change, change into his image. Uh, the other book, You Can Change, is by Tim Chester. Um, and we are using, if, you're, if you have the handout, um, each week there's a thing on the back called My Change Project. And that's been adapted from Tim Chester's book, You Can Change. But there are some, uh, it's a smaller book than Changes to His Image and uh, an excellent resource Uh, for learning how to change yourself and also helping others. And then How People Change. Uh, Many of you are familiar with Paul Tripp and his ministry. Um, How People Change is a a pretty dense work, um, but very, very uh, thorough and helpful look at biblical sanctification. And uh, again, getting into equipping you with tools of how to help other people. So those are three resources that uh, I would recommend to you if you're interested in learning more about some of these things that we're talking about in this class this summer. Um, and you can get those uh, through Amazon, uh, probably be the cheapest. All right, so James chapter 1 is where we're going to be today. Uh, just so by way of review, uh, remember what, we, what we've said is that spiritual growth is rooted in the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. Okay, The gospel is where it all begins and how it's all fleshed out. So it's lived out then in our union with Christ through daily repentance and faith. 
And if you can remember that, spiritual growth, it's not about, um, you know, changing over, you know, external things. It's not about making a new resolution and being a better person. Spiritual growth is all rooted and grounded in the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. And according to Colossians 2, Colossians 3, you died with him, you were raised with him, you are a new creation in Christ, and you live out that union with him by daily repenting and daily believing. Uh, We have a friend uh, of the church, many of you know Juan Curling. Juan, Juan said something one time that was very helpful, and he said, once saved, always repenting. And uh, that's just the, the way it works. You're always turning from the old self and the ways of the old man, always focusing and looking unto Jesus. And that's where genuine spiritual growth is rooted and grounded. So again, true biblical change, what we're talking about, it's not about just cleaning up your act and turning over a new leaf. We've said it in this way, that it's the issue of Ephesians 4, Colossians 3, putting off the ways of the old man, having your mind renewed, and putting on the ways of this new creation that you are in Christ. That's the process of biblical change. Last week we began to dive in a little bit closer and we looked at the issue of putting off uh, the ways of the old man. We said that the first step toward true biblical change is where you come to a point that you actually acknowledge with yourself and maybe with others that you need to change by identifying the particular things in your life that are not reflecting the new creation that you are in Christ. The the battle that we face on a daily basis is putting away the ways of the old man. And we have to come to the point where we identify and say, nope, that's more like the old man and not like the person that I am in Christ. So I'm going to put that off as my mind is being renewed. I want to become more like Jesus Christ. And so last week we discussed the idea of identifying the fruits, those things that you do, the things that you say, the reaction, the actions in your life that look more like the old man. And the question that you have to ask yourself, I have to ask myself on a daily basis, is where is my life departing from the life of God within me? In, in what ways am I reflecting in my words, my actions, and my reactions, uh, the fleshly life, the ways of the old man and not the new person that I am in Christ? And we need to routinely examine ourselves in light of the objective truth revealed in God's word. Okay, we don't examine ourselves in light of what we're comfortable with or what we're used to or what somebody else says is acceptable or not acceptable. We open the objective truth of the word and we let the mirror of the word reveal where we need to change. And then when we see how our life has departed from the truth of God in any way, we need to repent of that. That is confessing it, agreeing with God. Yes, this is sin. Maybe needing to go and agree with other people how you have sinned against them and then seeking to forsake that. Not play around with it, but remember the New Testament, when it talks about the way we deal with sin, it's very violent. (laughs) We mortify those things of the flesh. We kill those things, go to war against it. So I hope that you're able to do that and you become a person that is more and more observing and evaluating the fruit of your life confessing and forsaking those things. That's where biblical change begins as you identify those things. But what we're going to see today is uh, we're going to go a little bit deeper in this process and we're going to understand that the things that you do, the things that you say and the way that you respond, they don't just come out of nowhere. Have you ever caught yourself like saying something and you're like, where did that come from? You know, that's not me. I mean, I, I really didn't mean to say that. Well, we might have to rethink that whole thing. 
And so what we're going to look at today is that the fruit of the outer man, our words and our actions, are actually a result of something deeper. And so the question that we need to ask now is not, okay, how is my life departing from uh, the new life that I am in Christ and reflecting the old man? The questions that we might need to ask are a little bit deeper, and that is, why do I find myself constantly angry or frustrated or irritable or depressed? Why is it that I'm leaning more toward lying and manipulating and gossiping? What is it about me uh, that brings me to be this kind of person where I'm always like daydreaming or fantasizing or I'm envious or jealous of other people? Why do I overwork or overeat or overindulge? Why is it that I pursue sex and intimacy outside of marriage? Why is it that I'm failing to be the parent or the spouse or the employee or the student or the child that I should be? Why is it that I feel like I'm losing all joy and contentedness in my life? So what you're doing is you're not just evaluating what's coming out in your life, you're going a little bit deeper and you're asking some more specific questions. In fact, let's look at how Jesus would say it in Mark chapter 7. He says, for from within, out of the heart of man, come evil thoughts, sexual immorality, theft, murder, adultery, coveting, wickedness, deceit, sensuality, envy, slander, pride, and foolishness. All these evil things, the fruit in our life... It comes from within. And it comes from what Jesus says, the heart of man. He says something similar in Luke 6.45, that the good person out of the good treasure of his heart produces good. The evil person out of the evil treasure produces evil. For out of the abundance of his heart, the mouth speaks. So if you ever get to a point where you actually say or do something, you're like, where did that come from? That is so not me. Well, let Jesus' words remind you, actually, that didn't come from nowhere. It actually is in you. And what was real inside just came out. Proverbs would say it this way, that we are to keep our heart with vigilance. Because from our heart flows the springs of life. That's what gives direction and movement to your life, is your heart. Now when we say the heart, it's it's sort of a general Bible term. uh, You could say for the inner man, the real you. Um, You could say it's a biblical shorthand for uh, a few things like your desires and affections, the way you think and what you believe. It's the control center of your life. It is the real you. So what we need to do is not simply just identify the fruits and the ways in which our life is departing from the new people that we are in Christ, but we need to recognize the roots and find out, okay, where is this coming from? Because it's not just coming out of nowhere. So when you've identified sinful behavior and negative emotions, instead of focusing on that and saying, how do I change that and how do I get rid of that? You start to dig down to the source. Think of the last time maybe, um, let's use the illustration of anger. When, When was the last time you got angry? Now, different ones of us display our anger in different ways. Some, some of us would display it in outbursts and loud, passionate rage. <laughs> Maybe it just comes out in harsh, caustic sarcasm toward other people. Maybe it just comes out in the fact that you shut down and you pout and give everyone the silent treatment. So think of the last time you got angry and how it was displayed in your life. Well, what's the real issue in play? Is the real issue that you got angry? You say, well, I don't know. 
What caused you to get angry? That's the question. Like, and some people would say, well, it was other people, or it's my family background, right? Or uh, I had a bad day at the office. My blood sugar was low. <laughs> there were slow drivers in the left lane on 400, right? So all these things, this is what is making me upset and angry. Well, I'll say this. It's not that those are irrelevant, right? Because those are often very relevant issues, But what we need to understand and distinguish is between the contributing factors and the root cause. There's two different things. There might be contributing factors, but there's always a root cause. And that's why I would say that our struggles and our temptations may trigger sin, but they never cause it. Okay, so the external factors that are pulling on our flesh, they they might trigger the movement towards sin, but they never cause it. And here's, here's what I want us to understand today as we get down a little bit deeper into this uh, process of change in our life. And that's this, this statement that I want us to, to start thinking through. That you do what you do and you say what you say because you love what you love. So, yeah, were there slow drivers in the left lane? Sure. Was your blood sugar low? Sure. You know, are family members annoying? Yeah. But did they cause you to sin in anger? No, you did what you did and you said what you said because of something within you that you really love. Something that you're committed to. And this is what I will refer to as the sin that's beneath the sins. So you're there in James chapter 1. Let's look at James and see what he says about this. James chapter 1. And he's talking about um, being in um, difficult situations. And all these situations that we face in life, God wants to use it to grow our faith and bolster our confidence and love for him. However, the evil one wants to use it to tear us down. And um, we have the opportunity to respond with perseverance and faith and joy, or we can give in and respond wrongly. And what James says is when we respond wrongly, we know that there's something that's going on within us. Look at James 1 and verse 14. Each person is tempted when he's lured and enticed by his own desire. Okay, do you see what he he said there? There's the reason you sin. It's not anybody else's fault. It's not the circumstance's fault. That may be contributing, but the root cause is because of your desires. You do and say because you love something. In other words, when you sin, when I sin, aren't we just going after what we really want? Well, yes, that's what James says. When you sin, you're just going after what you really want. And that's, that's that word enticed, uh, that you're lured and enticed. It's a fishing term, right? You take a hook and you cover that hook with something that is going to entice the fish, something that's going to uh, seduce the fish out of safety and try to catch it. And there's something about a fishing lure that has an enticing capacity to it. And uh, to a fish, it looks shiny, it looks attractive, it looks promising, and it draws the fish away, it's enticed. Why? Because it wants it. And what James is addressing here is our desires. That when we're tempted, it's because of our own desires and what we love, it's our affections. It's not your behavior that's ultimately the issue. It's your love and your affections and your desires that are driving your behavior. So don't just focus on, for example, 
the anger. Focus on what was it that I wanted so much that produced the fruit of anger. Because I do and say what I say because of something that I want, something that I desire. Sinful actions, sinful words, sinful emotions and responses are just fruits of what you really love, what you desire, what you really want. Now, notice what James says here, okay? Verse 14, each person is tempted when he's lured and enticed by his own desire. That word own in the Greek language is the word idios, where we get the idea of idiosyncrasies. It's unique to you. Do you realize that each and every one of us have our own unique set of desires? In other words, not every one of us is tempted in the same way, to the same extent, by the same things. For example, I've maybe shared this with some of you before. Um, I cannot fathom a situation where I would be tempted to steal tickets to a Shakespeare play. Now that says nothing about my ability to resist temptation. It says everything about the fact I have no desire to interact with Shakespeare. Now, if that offends some of you, I apologize. But uh, that's just the reality. Now, if it were an opportunity to steal tickets to a UNC Tar Heel basketball game, now the, uh, there's a lust and there's a desire there. You can only be tempted with the things that you really want. And that's a really important thing. So our desires are unique to us. And we have to understand that um, we're only going to be tempted by those things that we really desire. That's why I say, you're going to do and say what you say because of what you really love, what you want. And James is helping us see here that when we sin, we're just going after the things that we really, really want. So, putting off the ways of the old man and having your mind renewed is actually a willingness to identify not just sinful behavior, but also what has been called the ruling lust of your heart. What's the dominating desires of your heart? Now, that's not something that, you know, I just pass out a card, okay, fill out for me, what is the ruling lust of your heart? Oh, yeah. Now, that's going to take some time to think and say, okay, what is it that I really, really want in my life? Because you do what you do, And you say what you say. That's the fruit. But it comes from something deeper, and that is because you love what you love. Now let's let's maybe help ourselves in this idea of what we really love, our own unique desires. Um, The Bible gives, in some ways, some general categories of our desires and how our hearts are enticed and drawn away by the things of this world. Um, In fact, 1 John chapter 2 lays them out for us. And Um, they might be helpful for you to consider just your own heart and your own life. The lust of the flesh. What is this? This is a desire to do. In other words, your flesh is pulling you to seek after pleasure. And for some of us, that's the ruling desire of our heart. We just want pleasure in some way or another. So we're bent on experiencing things that maybe God said no, or maybe he says wait for, 
Um, and, and what this says is when, when our heart is bent on the lust of the flesh and desiring pleasure and experiences, it comes out in a lot of different fruits in our life. Immorality and sensuality, overindulgence in a number of different areas. Why? Because what we, we want to experience pleasure in our life in some form or fashion. Um, he also talks about there's the lust of the eyes, which is kind of a desire to have more than what you already have. This is a, a flat, your flesh is pulling you to seek after more possessions, to have more things, things that maybe say good things about you. It's a, it's a mindset that says, I, I deserve to have what I want and, and I should be able to get the things that I want. And the result is we have a misplaced value system. And so what happens is those that are pulled by the lust of the eyes, you begin to get your lifestyle set up to where you can just get more stuff. And this, is, this comes out in a fruit that where people are all uptight about their clothes and their fashions and trends and styles. Or, or they're workaholics. It's like I've got to earn more so that I can get more. Or there's lying and cheating and stealing because you value something so much that you're willing to manipulate to get it. Or you're willing to lie to keep it from getting taken from you. <laughs> right? And because you just want these things. They're ruling your heart. For some, it's the pride of life. It's a desire to be. This is a, the, the flesh is pulling you to seek after prestige and status. It's the mindset that says, I have rights and I have needs and I need to be recognized. I need to be complimented. I need to be noticed. I deserve to feel a certain way about myself. And it comes out in, in different kinds of fruits. Some people it comes out in superiority complexes where they're just like really dominant. Sometimes it comes out in inferiority because it's like, you know, I can't really be the person that I feel like I should be. And there's insecurity. Some people, because they can't get it, they're really bitter and angry. Other people are just seeking to stiff arm all authority and just say, don't tell me what to do. I will live life my own way. Do you see how you do what you do and you say what you say because of what you really love? You're committed to pleasure or possessions or prestige. And I want you to notice, um, even in the book of 1 John, Pastor Josh addressed it in this, is that these are desires of the world. They're worldly, fleshly. They're not desires that drive you toward Christ. They're desires that drive you more and more toward you. And that's why we would say that this is really a, a love for yourself. So I do what I say, or I do what I do and I say what I say because I love me. Now if that sounds bad, it's because it is. <laughs> right? That's why we call it sin. It goes against who God is and what he is like. Because life now becomes all about me and under every behavioral sin is the sin of idolatry. We are all idolatrous. Now, we know the fact is this, that from the very beginning, God created us as worshipers. Worship is hardwired into us. You were genuinely, or you were created to genuinely worship God. Human beings find their ultimate satisfaction and joy when they love the Lord their God with all their heart, soul, mind, and strength. That's what we were designed to do and be. And when, I, when I talk about this idea of worshiping God... Make sure that you don't relegate that to an event, right? Okay, in just a few moments, we're all going to sing together. And a lot of times people say, well, now we're going to worship. Well, 
No, it's not like we're going to start something we haven't been doing all along. No, you're always worshiping. Worship is not just something that you do, it's something that you are all the time. And so what I want you to think of is in terms of your desires and your love, even what you treasure, what you value. That's what you worship. So don't think of songs that you sing, but think in terms of what you really want, what you really treasure, what's most valuable to you. And what we are is we're actually, although God created us to be worshipers of him, we're broken worshipers. Because all have sinned and we've fallen short of recognizing who God is and responding to his glory. That's broken worship. Sin is an issue of our desires and our love being directed towards something other than God. And the gospel reveals to us that Jesus did not come and die and rise again to make us well-behaved, conservative people. Jesus came, John 4, because the Father was seeking true worshipers. He's wanting to restore us back into the created image of those that worship God for who he is and what he is like. And if we don't get that, if we don't get the fact that our sin is a worship issue, and if we don't get the fact that the gospel came to recreate us into true worshipers, then all we're going to do is just end up trying to deal with our behavior in life. We're going to look at all the fruit in our life and go, okay, how do I change that? How do I change that? And we just get into behavior modification. But the gospel is about true heart change from the inside out. And you're always going to worship something. It's either Jehovah God or it's going to be your desires and your loves and your treasure. So either God is worshipped or a lesser God is. You're always worshipping. The question is who or what are you worshipping? And that's what produces the fruit in our life. As Paul Tripp says, our words and our actions are shaped by our pursuit of the things we crave. What we worship determines our responses to all our experiences. So when you, you let's use the traffic illustration, if you're stuck in traffic and you're getting ticked and angry, you're honking the horn, you're slapping the steering wheel, you're saying all sorts of gracious things about the people around you, you're worshiping right then. You're just not worshiping God, you're worshiping what you really want. And that is this, is, this is either uncomfortable for me, this goes against what I had planned for my day, this is not how I want it to be. I, I, I am being worshipped. Instead of recognizing the sovereignty of God, the goodness of God, the wisdom of God. You see, you do and you say because of what you really love. Think about it this way, what's the first commandment? The first commandment is, you will have no other gods before me. Do you realize that we never break any of the other commandments until we break that first one? We we never, you know, bear false witness against our neighbor unless we have first set another god before Jehovah. We, We never commit adultery unless we first set another god before Jehovah. You don't break any of the other commandments until you break the first commandment. So the reason that you sin, the reason that I sin, is is because underneath the surface, we are valuing, we're worshiping, we're treasuring, desiring, loving something more than we do God. 
And that's, that's why uh, I would say that sin's not a behavior issue. It's a worship disorder. And we have to start addressing it and thinking of it that way in our life, or else we'll never see true lasting change. So why do I lie? Why do I fail to love like I should? Why do I break my promises? Why do I live selfishly? Why do I lash out in anger? Because there's something other than Jesus that I feel like I have to have in order to be happy, in order to make life work. Um, Something's more important to me than God, and something has enslaved my heart through my self-centered desires. So the key to biblical change in this is understanding that my sinful actions are coming from the idols of my heart. And until I begin to identify those idols, the actions are still going to continue to be sinful. And uh, that's the key to biblical change. So is my heart operating in the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, the pride of life, all three? (laughs) I mean, we could be pursuing possessions and status and prestige and also pleasure and we always have to identify what's driving the actions and if we don't again we'll just end up in behavior modification um let's let's use a few illustrations let's kind of work through this here um money money in and of itself can be an idol that people pursue right but the pursuit of money could actually be driven to fulfill the sat- or to satisfy other idols that we're worshiping. Some people go after money not just for the sake of having more money, but it's because if I have more money, then I'm able to control things a little bit better. Throw anything at me, it's okay. I've got enough money, I can handle it. What, what, what is that? What's driving that pursuit of money? It's I want control. Um, Some people want money because it allows them to have access into certain social statuses, right? Because I, the pride of life, I want to be accepted and recognized by other people. And money gives me that. Some people pursue money because they're able to just make themselves more beautiful and more attractive. Um, Let's think about it in terms of sexual relationships outside of the bounds of marriage. Why is it that people would commit adultery? Well, some would pursue that because they desire pleasure or comfort that they're not getting somewhere else. Some people would do that because they just want to feel approved and loved by someone. Others would say would do it because they just want to gain power and control over another person. You see how the fruit could look the same, but the driving idol could be different for each and every one of us because everyone is enticed by his own lust, his unique lust. And that's why if you don't identify the underlying idolatry of your heart, it's, you're not going to see true change begin to take place in your life. Uh, let's let's um, think about a, okay, no, there's no middle school boys in here, so no one will think I'm picking on them, all right? Okay, so let's say you have a middle school boy. I, I can say this because I have a middle school boy, and I've, I've had middle school boys, right? Um, let's say you have a middle school boy who is a lazy slob, isolates himself in his bedroom, just doing his own thing. Okay, now as a parent, what, how do I address that? I could address his laziness and his selfishness by isolating himself all the time, right? But if I do that, what am I doing? I'm addressing the fruit. But if I want to really help, I need to address a little bit deeper, 
the fruit of laziness and isolation and mess is a result of something deeper. It could be an idol of pleasure. He's just looking for whatever makes me most comfortable, whatever makes me most happy, whatever brings me the most pleasure. It could be an idol of control. Maybe things are out of control in the rest of his world, and so if he can go to his room, shut the door, and do his own thing, now he's in control of at least something. Do you see how the fruit might look the same, but the driving idol could be very different? And if we don't address the idol, then we're not really dealing with what needs to be dealt with. Because think about that same uh, lazy, slob, isolated middle school boy who is now in like 10th or 11th grade. And now you notice that everything in his life is in order. He's exercising. He's working out. He's mindful of his clothes. He's making friends. You're like, huh. His laziness and his selfishness has now been conquered. Maybe. Or maybe he's worshiping a different idol now. Maybe he likes the acceptance of friends. Maybe he just uh, likes the, um, the way people recognize his appearance. So you could stop worshiping the idol of pleasure and control and start worshiping the idols of attention and approval and acceptance. So the fruit might look different, but there's still idolatry going on. You see how important this is that we get past the surface of what we do and say and go down to what we really love. Um, Consider a a dad that um, finds himself continually getting angry with his children. Maybe he's getting angry with his children because he really, really wants his children to obey and respect him. You say, well, wait a minute, that's actually really biblical, (laughs) right? Respect and obedience, that's, that's really biblical. Yeah, but do you know that it's easy for our flesh to take a good thing and turn it into a God thing? And as a father, now I get angry when my children don't give me the honor and the respect that I deserve. See, what, I'm, what am I committed to? Am I committed to someone doing right or am I committed to me? See how the pride of life is now driving the anger? So um, that pride could then lead me to become manipulative and controlling and angry. It could lead someone to just be depressed because it's not working out and they're not doing what I've told them to do. The, the, God's not in the picture, at least not the one true God. You, as God, is the one that's making, calling the shots there. So do you, you see, if, the, if you fail to address your desires, you might adjust your behavior, but never deal with the idolatry. And that's the root that we've got to start getting down to, is the issue of what we really are worshiping. Lying, manipulation, violence, adultery, addictions, fear, bitterness, anger, all of that fruit rooted in idolatry. So the question that I put to you this morning as we close is, have you begun to go below the surface to identify the ruling lust of your heart? Have you gotten really honest with yourself or others about the idols of your heart? And ask yourself, what is it that I treasure so much that I just can't imagine life without it? Um, What have I given God-like status to in my life? What's captured my heart other than Jesus? Because true spiritual growth is rooted and grounded in the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. And it's displayed in my union with him as I daily live in repentance and faith. It's all about him. 
And true biblical change begins to take effect in our lives when we begin to identify the false worship, the idolatry of our heart. And so putting off the ways of the old man is not just an issue of confessing and forsaking the sinful things that we do and say, but it is an issue of confessing and forsaking the sinful, inordinate desires of our heart. So we ought to be repenting not only of our sinful actions, but also our sinful desires. Um, On the handout there this morning, there is a a section there that's kind of a, a way to identify the idols of your heart. Again, not all of us are tempted in the same way, to the same extent, by the same thing. So you have to identify it. So start asking yourself some hard questions to identify what is it that's driving me. And maybe that'll be a helpful exercise for you. Now, um, as we close this morning, I just want to give you a little projection into next week of what we're going to talk about. In that, actually, we haven't gone deep enough yet. Because what we're going to learn next week is that it's not only a love for self, but that love for self is coming from a wrong view of God. And that under every behavioral sin is a sin of idolatry, but under every act of idolatry is actually the sin of unbelief. There's something about God that I have set aside or I'm ignorant of. And so when I'm living in idolatrous affections, it's because at some level I really don't know and believe the truth about who God is and what he is like. And so that's the root that we're going to find out, that you do what you do and you say what you say Because you love what you love. But you love what you love because you believe what you believe about God and his word. That is the ultimate defining factor of our life. What do we believe and understand to be true about God? And so we're going to begin to address our belief system that informs our loves and our desires that produces the fruit in our life. So on the uh, handout this morning, on the, on the back of that, you have the change project. And uh, again, I want to encourage you to, to work on that. If you need the handouts from the previous weeks, there's some in the back. Um, but this week, it'll just kind of help you flesh out a little bit more of the idolatrous desires and how that's an important thing to begin to address as we get down deeper into the root system of our heart and life. And so let's pray that God would continue to transform us more into his image for his glory as we put off the ways of the old man, allow our mind to be renewed. So Father, help us in this. Lord, we we recognize that we are broken worshipers. But we thank you for Jesus that has come to restore uh, your image into us, to make us back into those true image bearers that you've created us to be. And so Lord, we know that we are in a battle against the flesh on a daily basis. And there's the pull to worship our own selves and our own desires instead of you. So help us to identify that in our life. And then, Lord, give us uh, the grace that we need to walk in the Spirit and not fulfill the desires of the flesh. We want to be true, full, complete worshipers of you. So continue to do that work in us, we pray, for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen.